New, new, new black, new, new black Wall Street book club. Evan Jefferson, brother, much love. Educating, elevating, because in knowledge is the power and we'll never give it up. <laughs> Literature is for the masses. Where to put your money down the how to watch your assets. Yeah, uplifting others is a passion. My brother Evan, he will turn it into action. New Black Wall Street Book Club. You should come read with come us. Read with us. Yeah, we comprehend and discuss. Yeah. If we all just come together, there's no limit for there's us. No limit for us. <laughs> Here comes your host, New Black Wall Street. Evan, take it away. New Black Wall Street Book Club. Welcome to the New Black Wall Street Book Club, where black folk do read. If you put it in a book, we absolutely will find it. I'm your host, ERGJ, your certified financial educator, CEO of ERGJ Enterprises, ERGJ Black Bazaar, and international best selling author of the book. The Black Billionaires Club. It's a study of black wealth. It's a study of the 12 richest black people in the world today and how they built their wealth. And I just believe that if you want to be wealthy, you should study wealthy people. We can find that book by going to the website www.theblackbillionairesclub.com www.theblackbillionairesclub.com You'll find that link in the description above or below. With our daily motivation for African-American success. That's right, daily motivation for African-American success from none other than my main man, Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough. Well, tonight's title is the Discover Card. Everybody put in the comments below, hashtag discover. The Discover Card. And our quote of tonight comes from uh, Simon Estes, the opera singer. Maybe Simone, Simon, I don't know. Simon Estes, the opera singer, who says this, and I quote, the person who is self-centered is off-centered. The person who is self-centered is off-centered. And here's our passage of the day. Uh, let's figure out what we got, how he's gonna motivate, motivate us here today. Let's read. It's no secret that business is always on the prowl for new money. Many times it is found in our community. Everyone wants to know how we, black Americans, spend our money. Ken Smichael, publisher of Target Market News says, with the introduction of more and more products specifically geared to African Americans, it's clear that Madison Avenue recognizes the growing importance of this segment of the population. Madison Avenue is a power that has dictated our lifestyle to a great extent. Provocative copy and images advertise and encourage our buying. We're constantly bombarded with messages telling us that in order to amount to anything, we have to dine at the right places or the right restaurants, drink the right beverage, drive the right car, wear the right clothes, live in the right house and shop in the right stores. If we don't, then we're missing out on life. We've made names like Gucci and Mercedes, Fendi, Nike, Starter, Giorgio and Mont Black rich powerful, and well-known. Madison Avenue advertisers should not be the power that dictates how we run our lives or how we feel. We need to understand that high principles and a spiritual approach to life are far more rewarding than a drive for money, property, and prestige. 
With this approach, we can discover a whole new life. Let me repeat that last part again. What's going on, Shotty Red Hot Pick, man? Can't wait to get you on the show. Uh, we're going to have, have Shotty Hot Red Pick featured on one of our black virtual marketplaces pretty soon. Madison Avenue advertisers should not be the power that dictates how we run our lives or how we feel. We need to understand that high principles and a spiritual approach to life are far more rewarding than a drive for money, property, and prestige. With this approach, we can discover a whole new life. And here's today's affirmation. Here's what you want to allow to take root into your subconscious. And then you can grow and develop this thing by repeating it over and over and over and over again until it brings forth a harvest into your life. So we're going to do this together, people. Repeat after me. Today, I let go of all useless status symbols. Again, what's going on, Mike DeGen? How you doing? Repeat after me. Today, I let go of all useless status symbols. Now, billionaires, I got to ask you this question. If you were to let go of all useless status symbols. What would your bank account look like? Oh, y'all didn't think I was going to go there. Of course I'm going to go there. I'm the money guy. I mean, what will your bank account look like if you let go of all useless status symbols? See, the whole point of a status symbol is for you to look a certain way. Maybe even feel a certain way. I don't know, depending on your connection to it. Or if you let go of status symbols, what would your bank account begin to look like? Let's do this one more time, guys, for the people in the back, the people in the way back. This time, say it with some conviction. Repeat after me. Today, I let go of all useless status symbols. The Discover Card. Daily Motivations for African American Success by Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough. Daily Motivations for African American Success by Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough. A quick word from our sponsor. Don't just buy black, decorate black. ERGJ Black Bazaar is the Afrocentric marketplace, and we specialize in urban home decor. Anything from shower sets to wall tapestries to duvet cover sets, you can decorate your entire home with original black art-inspired gifts. Check us out at www.ergjblackbazaar.com, www.ergjblackbazaar.com. ERGJ Black Bazaar, the Afrocentric marketplace. We make group economics easy. Mm-hmm.
The New Black Wall Street Book Club presents Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African Americans who escaped slavery and became millionaires by Shamari Wills. Let's read. Well, my beautiful people, man, that was our, our appetizer. That was just to get us ready for the meat tonight as we're going to get into the book, Black Fortunes. Now, Black Fortunes is a story of the first six African-Americans who escaped slavery and became millionaires. And if you missed any of our episodes previously, you want to make sure you check them out because there's been some good dope stuff. And you can find us on uh, on podcasts across all different platforms at the New Black Wall Street Book Club. So you want to catch a previous episode of uh, Black Fortunes and find out what's happened through the first think, three chapters because we're on chapter four, I believe, tonight. Uh, then you can uh, just find us again across all platforms on the, on the podcast, Google, Apple, Stitcher, whatever, Spotify, uh, at the New Black Wall Street Book Club. Okay, go ahead and do that. Go ahead and find us and you can listen to the previous episodes because the last episode was a banger. And I'm pretty sure uh, as we continue to go through this book, Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans to escape slavery and become millionaires, uh, we're going to get way, we're going to learn more. We're going to learn today from our history. That's right. This is black history and stuff that they, weren't, they didn't teach us in school, the stuff that's still relevant and valid today. So let's get into this thing, man. Chapter four of Black Fortunes. And this is going to be chapter four, part one. I don't know how many parts it is in this. It's not going to be, okay, we, ooh, it ain't going to be long like the last, oh, Lord, but it was good. Chapter four, uh, Robert Reed Church and the Civil War. Chapter four, Robert Reed Church and the Civil War. Part one, let's read. As the shock of John Brown's raid and execution spread across the country, Captain Charles Church was doubling down on his cotton shipping business. In 1858, he bought a new steamboat. It was massive at 200 tons and had two engines. The interior was furnished with chases, lounges, and armchairs. It had parlors, dining rooms, kitchens, and dozens of sleeping cabins. The exterior of the boat was had a wide deck large enough to accommodate thousands of bales of cotton. Captain Church christened his new boat with the Victoria and put her into service on the Mississippi River from St. Louis to New Orleans with a stopover in Memphis. The captain made Robert Reed Church a steward aboard the new vessel. The rank of steward was the highest possible for a slave. Robert was 19 years old and had spent the last seven years on the river in the kitchens and dining rooms of Captain Church's boats to earn the promotion. During that time, he and the captain had grown fond of each other. My father gave me anything I wanted, Robert remembered, though he doesn't openly recognize me, he equivocated. Early in the year, Captain Church's other son, Charles Jr., died at the age of 10, resting the legacy of the church name on Robert. Captain Church's bastard son, and slave. So you guys see here what's happening. Uh, as we get into chapter four, he switched from last chapter, last episode, we were talking about Mary Ellen Pleasant. Now we're back talking about Robert Reed Church. One second. All right. So Robert Reed Church. In his work aboard the ships, Robert became acquainted with a porter named Blanche K. Bruce, who worked the docks. 
Uh, like Robert, Bruce was the product of a tryst between a white slave owner and his female slave. Unlike Robert, his father had freed him and sent him to school. Bruce was stout with long brown skin and short wavy hair. In Bruce, Robert perhaps saw an alternative version of himself were he free. The two became fast friends and Robert allowed himself to dream of freedom. Everybody put in the comments so dream. He began to dream of freedom. See, a lot of things begin to happen first in the dream. He began to dream of freedom. As a steward, Robert was put in charge of the ship's kitchen and dining room. The role put him on equal footing with white merchants. When the ship docked, Robert, usually accompanied by, accompanied by our Captain Church, would meet with grocers, importers, and bakers to buy meat, vegetables, fruit, liquor, bread, and cakes. His work has was held to a high standard as the meals on Captain Church's boats were legendary. The markets were searched for the best the country afforded, and the days on board were marked by one feast after another. Uh, Captain Church also set Robert up with a woman. The Victoria was often filled with young white women who were part of bridal parties. Sometimes there were as many as five groups of bachelorettes aboard at once. Though in general, Captain Church may have given Robert whatever he wanted, the young women who were guests on the captain's ships were off limits. Just after Robert turned 18, Captain Church arranged for Robert to have a slave marriage with a woman named Margaret Pico, who, owned, who was owned by friends of his, new, of his, of his in New Orleans. Marriages arranged between, arranged between people owned by slaveholders were explicitly sexual in nature, as the expectation was the coupling would result in children and produce more slaves for the owners. Captain Church often lodged with the family that owned Margaret when he spent a few days in New Orleans and at the end of the Victoria's run. After Robert and Margaret's marriage was arranged, whenever the captain and his son went to New Orleans, the captain would deposit Margaret, wrote Robert, in Margaret's slave quarters where he would spend the duration of his stay in New Orleans. In 1859, Robert and Margaret produced a daughter whom they named Laura. In the fall of 1860, Abraham Lincoln's victory in the presidential election sent shockwaves through the South, setting off a chain of events that would lead to the Civil War. Captain Church's steamship line was entangled with slavery. His business relied on shipping cotton picked on slave plantations to ports along the Mississippi. Talk of war could be heard among the passengers as Bob walked the dining halls on board the ships during meal service. On April 19, 1961, in the first days of the Civil War, President Lincoln ordered the Union Navy to blockade all southern waterways cutting off the South's trade with Europe and interfering with the Confederacy's transportation of troops and provisions on the waterways. Lincoln deployed 500 warships to ports in the Atlantic Ocean and on the Mississippi and Ohio rivers to destroy any Confederate ships carrying supplies. Not long after the blockade was announced, Robert was on board the Victoria when a group of Confederate sailors wearing gray military uniforms boarded the ship. The men announced that they were commandeering the ship on behalf of the Confederate Navy. My sympathies were with the Union, though I did own slaves, the captain claimed, saying he was given no choice but to turn over his ship with his, back, with his black son aboard. The Confederacy renamed his boat Confederate Steamship Victoria. Robert was conscripted to the CSS Victoria in the employ of the Rebel Navy. The boat was used to transport troops and military supplies up and down the Mississippi, 
using its speed to outrun the blockade fleet. If a ship was caught, the Union Navy had instructions to destroy and sink in it. While Bob was working on a Confederate blockade runner, his younger brother James Wilson was conscripted into the Confederate Army as a soldier in Arkansas. Emmeline had hoped during her dying days to save her sons from slavery, and now they found themselves aiding the Confederacy in the war to protect the right of white Southerners to hold black men like themselves in bondage. Wow, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. So, so he's on the ship with his for his father, and Confederates take over the ship and then put him, made him go, basically made him fight with them to protect the white Southerners and hold black men like themselves in bondage. Wow. I mean, this story, I mean, this is, whew. You know what I'm, what I'm doing right now? I'm like, I'm just, I'm just like, wow. I'm just like, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, obviously he had no choice, but I'm just like, just kill me. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I could have did it. I don't know if I could have went through all that. Just being honest, I mean, my goodness. I mean, you made me. You mean to tell me I got to fight for to, to help you keep me as a slave? I mean, where they do that at? <laughs> so that's chapter one, guys, of uh, Robert Reed Church in the Civil War. Uh, I'm sorry, that's part one of chapter four, Robert Reed Church in the and the uh, Civil War. Robert Reed Church and the Civil War, part two. <laughs> Let's get it. So near daybreak on June 6th of 1862, as the sun was rising over the Mississippi River, Robert Reed Church was on the deck of the CSS Victoria. His ship was floating just outside the Memphis Wharf, looking out onto a fleet of Confederate warships further out on the river, waiting for a coming battle. The Union Navy was approaching to invade and conquer Memphis. Robert stood on the deck with crew members and Confederate sailors watching the approaching fleet draw closer, feeling both uncertainty and excitement. The Union warships would perhaps bring freedom if they were victorious, but they also could bring death if they sank his ship. There were eight Confederate ships in the river guarding the city. Each of them had cotton bales stacked like bricks against all four sides of their superstructures to protect against light artillery. The cotton-clad flotilla was poorly armed. In total, the rebel ships had eight cannons. The Union fleet was twice the size of the Confederates, and 17 ships were assembled in two battle lines moving down the river, their exteriors clad with iron, armed with guns and cannons. In another line, there were nine ram boats with six-foot-long knife-like structures on their end. Those beaks could puncture the hulls of the enemy ships were when smashing into them, flooding and sinking them. In the early morning, more than 5,000 Memphians Memphians made their way from their home to the edge of the river to watch the battle. They stood in groups on the bluffs, 20 feet up from the fighting. The Union fleet stopped 200 feet from the city. Then the air exploded with a steady drone of gunfire. About five and a half a.m., the brag came up toward us and opened fire, Confederate soldier later reported. It was answered by us instant instantly. The fleets exchanged fire for more than an hour with neither side taking much damage. By the time they were done, the river was covered in smoke and the air smelled like gunpowder. In the haze, two Union ram boats came charging toward the Confederate ships. 
They knifed at their home sinking one, the CSS Colonel 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 Lavelle, and damaged several others puncturing their hull. As the Confederate ships scrambled, the Union gunboats sailed into deadly range of the Confederate ships and opened fire. The Union ships shot up and breached one Confederate ship after another. On the bluff, the citizens of Memphis, who had been cheering the gunfight, fell silent. After the Union Navy sank three Confederate ships, the Confederate flotilla surrendered. When the battle was over, a Union ship began to close on Robert's ship, the CSS Victoria. Something inside Robert told him to flee. He followed his instinct. He walked to the edge of the boat, gathered his nerve, and jumped. With a splash, he disappeared into the Mississippi as the sun came up over Memphis. Okay. Woo, that was pretty intense. <laughs> war. That was pretty intense, man. All right, so now Robert Reed Church is in the water. He's in the Mississippi. Uh, something told him to flee, and he listened to the still, small voice, and I guess he's still alive. That's good, I guess. And we're going to find out what happens, what continued to happen with Robert Reed Church as uh, as the Union. Obviously, this is during Abraham Lincoln's time. This is during the time we said there were the battle between having slaves and no slaves. And, and, and you know, Confederates weren't trying to give up their free uh, labor. And the Union was like, no more. Uh, and uh, the North versus the South. And it was a lot more North than it was South. There's only 13 colonies, by the way. But I guess they figured we're going to fight to the end. And, and and listen to this. They had their ships. <laughs> their ships were so ratchet. Their ships were so ratchet. They had that thing puffed up with cotton. Like, what is cotton going to stop? Uh, you're going up against iron. Iron versus cotton. That should tell you already. We should have surrendered. It. We should have just stopped right there. We should have just gave up. We give up. Y'all got iron. We give up. Nope. They wanted to fight. <laughs> what the hell cotton going to do? What did that going to say? I mean, that's like, that's like you know what? You know what? We're gonna fight. We're gonna. I'm pillow fighting, and you fight with a gun. Who gonna win? <laughs> Them damn Confederates, pretty silly people, aren't they? Anyway, <laughs> so Robert's in the water now. He done jumped. He said, "Man, I'll get, get the hell up on out of Dodge." Jumped on on into the water, and we're gonna find out what happened. So that was part two of Robert Reed Church in the Civil War. Quick word from our sponsor. Uh, let's go on. Robert Reed Church in the Civil War, Part Three. All right. In the hours after the Battle of Memphis, the river was turning and muddy. As the gun smoke cleared, scraps of wood, cotton, and metal from the destroyed Confederate ships littered the surface of the water. Downriver, Robert Reed Church paddled and kicked toward the shores of Memphis. He swam to the bank and pulled himself up onto the land. As he collected himself on solid ground, his hair stuck to his face and scalping his soaping wet, muddy clothing clung to his, to, to his frame. What was he at that moment? A slave? A freed man? A deserter? Whom did he belong to? The Confederacy? The Union? His father? Himself? There was only one way to be sure. He collected himself and headed towards the city, dripping water as if he had just been baptized. 
He was unafraid of whatever awaited him. He had just survived his second flirtation with a watery grave. Slavery and brushes with death had wrung whatever fear he had been born with from his breast. In Memphis, Robert found men, both black and white, wearing blue Union uniforms and carrying guns, stationed on corners, patrolling the town. High in the sky, he could see the Union flag flying over City Hall. After the Battle of Memphis, the mayor surrendered the city to the Union, suspending slavery in the town. At that moment, Robert dared to think he was free. Everybody put guns on at that moment. At that moment, Robert dared to think he was free. Now we've been uh, following this story uh, as uh, as he you know he had a battle with the water before when he basically you know put his father's boat on fire and now he's back out here now it's a different type of fire it's a fight it's a war. Uh, and he is after the war, all is said and done. He survived, right? And now he's at this moment. He's like, wait a second. This seems to be a little different around here. Uh, I might just be free. Now, I don't know what that feeling is. I mean, I got some at the moment type feelings, but. When he's been, uh, you know, when you've been in bondage your whole life, uh, when something has overcome you or overtaken you, in this kind of bondage, we understand it, right? We don't understand necessarily the physical bondage in this particular time, but we understand a whole bunch of other types of bondage. You know, sometimes our minds, you know, keep us in bondage. Sometimes our emotions keep us in bondage. Sometimes our finances keep us in bondage. But when you've been a slave, when you've been in bondage, when you've been overtaken your whole life, and then all of a sudden, at that moment, you realize I'm free. You realize I paid off my last debt. You realize that this mental thing no longer has control over me. When you realize it at that moment that you're free. Now, I don't know about you. But it seems to me that one of the biggest battles on this earth is the battle to be free in every area of your life. That seems to be the struggle, the, the struggle to be free, the struggle, struggle to break free, the struggle to be free. Now, the interesting thing is that you're actually born into this life, or this world free. But sometimes in some kind of way, over time, things grab hold of you. And then you must be what? Born again. Born again into free. At that moment, he dared to think he was free. Now I'm just picturing this in my head, man. This brother, you know what I'm saying? White father, you know what I'm saying? Setting him up with a woman. You know what I mean? That, that, that was pretty fun, though. I mean, setting them up. Hey, okay, we're going to be here. We might as well do something. <laughs> Had him a daughter. Right now, I don't know what, we don't know what happened to the woman. We don't know what happened to the daughter yet. I mean, but we, this is a story about Robert Reed Church. But man, just imagine that feeling of finally. Finally. It's been a long time coming. But finally, I'm free. 
Robert Reed Church and the Civil War, Part 3. Well, my beautiful people, that's actually it for Chapter 4. So we now completed Chapter 4 of Black Fortunes, which is the story of uh, the first six African Americans to escape slavery and become millionaires. And I believe that this book is, uh, is right on time as we get to the end of a decade. And many of us, or some of us, are still fighting, still going through the process of becoming free. And I just want you to understand, and I want us to accept that if these brothers and sisters, and we only read about two of them so far, could do this back in the 1850s, if they can go through what they've been through, experience all of the things that they have experienced, get free, and then become millionaires, well, if they can do it, you can do it. This is the reason why I like to read books like this, to, to, to really understand our history, what we've gone through, what we've overcome as a people, and, and, and how we came out smelling like roses, many of us. Some died, yes, but some was flying like eagles. And I, I venture to say that they were willing to die so that they could fly. Yeah, I might want to write that one down and repeat that again. They were willing to die for a chance, an opportunity, a moment in time where they could fly. Will that be fly here on the earth or fly in the heavens after life? Either way, they were willing to die. And Mary Ellen Pleasant picked up the gun. She was going to the militia. She was already rich. She said, I'm still willing to die for the chance for my people to be free. Robert Reed Church, dealing with his father on the boat, said, I'm jumping, I'm fleeing, I'm running. Willing to die in the Mississippi River. Willing to die during a war for a chance to fly. And now Robert dares to think at this moment that he is free. This is the New Black Wall Street Book Club, where black folk do read. If you put in a book, we absolutely will find it. Now I'm your host, ERGJ, your certified financial educator, and we invite you to join the Black Billionaires Club. Get connected with brothers and sisters who are serious about winning with money, serious about success, and super serious about helping you to accomplish your goals and to build your dreams. Check out the website at www.theblackbillionairesclub.com, www.theblackbillionairesclub.com. You can find that link in the description above or below. Make a decision to change the rest of your life. We'd ask that you would subscribe and support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes to improve financial literacy within our community and ultimately to help us to build the School of Wealth, to build an institution that will teach the next generation about money. And your small monthly contribution can make all the difference. Well, we want to say thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the New Black Wall Street Book Club. We want you to remember this, that it takes a village. And it starts with us. Let's build as we climb together. We all we got, people. And thank God that that's more than enough. Until next episode, 
You know what time it is. Mr. DJ, hit the music. New, new, new black, new. It's the new black Wall Street book club. With your host, Evan Jefferson. Evan Jefferson. It's time for us to go. Yeah. Now you ain't gotta leave the computer. But we encourage you to get out there and learn and apply all the things you learn at the new black Wall Street. Book club, book club. Yeah. The new black Wall Street. The new black Wall Street.